Another welcome to all of you. I'm David Zoll. I'm the director of Mockingbird and just thrilled that you're here. I'll give a few announcements after this next presentation, but this is what many of us are here for. Uh, we get to hear from one of my favorite people, uh, the Reverend Sarah Condon. Uh, she is a force to be reckoned with. Anyone that knows her knows that she not only has a gift for articulating grace in a very visceral and extremely funny way, she also has a uh, fashion sense that has been described as Mexican Cracker Barrel. <laughs> Self-described. And she's Mexican of descent. Just throw that out there. <laughs> um, Sarah is a priest in the Diocese of Texas. She serves at St. Martin's Episcopal Church in Houston. She also is on staff with Mockingbird, where she uh, writes, and she is on the Mockingcast podcast. She is the wife to Josh, also a priest, and she is the mother to Neil and Annie, and it is our enormous privilege to get to hear from her tonight. start with a prayer. Gracious and loving God, thank you for calling us into your grace, for giving us mercy, and for granting us relief. Lord Jesus, we pray for the one who speaks tonight, for you know that her sins are many. All these things we pray in your name. Amen. So I listen to National Public Radio every single day of my life. If you don't know what National Public Radio is, that's amazing. But um, it's a station where um, it's usually early on on the, it's like between 92 and, it's like between 88 and 92. It's early in this selection of radio. Um, it's where they read the news and the commentators have a monotone voice. Um, there are really good shows on public radio, like This American Life is public radio. 
um, Car Talk, God Rest Its Soul is public radio, and of course, a Prairie Home Companion. But mostly, I listen to national public radio for the news, and I listen to it all the time, in the car, in my house, at work. I'm one of those people that will listen to national public radio during the pledge drives and then not give money. But I'll put myself through the whole pledge drive. So I start my day with Morning Edition, which is their morning show, and I make dinner every night with all things considered blaring. So Robert Siegel and Audie Cornish are like the closest thing I have to a Christian accountability group in the evening. Um, before you start judging me, um, I want to tell you the worst part so that you can judge me accurately. Um, I listen to public radio around my kids who are two and five years old, which is terrible because my kids are way too little to process the Syrian refugee crisis or global warming or Donald Trump. But I guess I don't care because I totally listen to public radio around them. In my most self-righteous moments, I tell myself that public radio is good for their brains because I grew up on it and I'm perfectly well adjusted after 10 years of therapy, so they'll be fine. Um, on what might be a related note, I accidentally told our five-year-old about the Holocaust. Um, so I'm that parent. Now, the saving grace in my children's lives on so many fronts is their father, my husband, Josh. Um, he listens to total crap on the radio. Fun, mindless pop music. Uh, he will only turn it off if Adele comes on. That's like a family rule for us. As soon as we hear it, we're like... Um, so he listens to this music with our kids in the car. I didn't realize the profoundly mixed messages we had been giving our children until recently. Um, I had asked our five-year-old son to get napkins out to get us ready for dinner, and for just a moment, I thought I heard him tell me to shut up. And I kind of took Aaron and, um, and took a moment, because kids saying shut up is like the unforgivable sin of childhood, right? Like dumb, stupid, shut up. We would more easily navigate a child saying an actual four-letter word than them saying shut up. So I turned to our son, Neil, and I said, Neil, what did you just say to me? And he kind of, you know, gathered himself and he said, Mama, I'm just singing a song I heard in the car with Daddy. And then he goes, shut up and dance with me. Um, which is, which is this super fun song by this band, Walk the Moon, which you just saw the video. So I stood there for a moment, and I watched our son, Neil. And he kind of would repeat the chorus over and over again, and he would dance around the kitchen. He couldn't remember all of the words exactly, because he's little, so he would be like, shut up, I have to pee. You know, it was just this... But, but the point was, he looked so joyful in that moment, belting out that pop song. He looked free and content, and I love seeing him that way, and I realized 
that I never see him that way when he's having to listen to an expose about contaminated peanut butter on national public radio. <laughs> My son needs the world to shut up so he can dance. He needs relief from the noise of the world. And I desperately do too. I need relief. But some days I'm not sure if I want it. The thing is, I kind of like the noise of the world. I cling to the anxious urge to be more informed, right? I shame myself for not knowing about all of the world's problems because knowing about the, pro the world's problems makes me feel slightly less guilty about the fact that I'm powerless to fix the world's problems. So to put this plainly, I'll listen to stuff on public radio that makes me feel bad just so I can feel a little bit better about feeling bad, which is super screwed up. Um, and of course, it's not just the noise out there. We ourselves are noise makers, right? We place demands on our lives. We are brutal with ourselves. We all have high expectations, as we heard earlier, of other people, our spouses, our children, the lady who makes our drink at Starbucks. We have expectative noise for everyone in our lives. And when things fall apart, as they often do, we live in a world that allows comment for all of these things. So you can fill out a card at a restaurant, right? You can write a review under a Mockingbird article. You can leave a Yelp review for a church. So you don't just have to bear the weight of the noise in this world, you also have to produce noise yourself. And that's why we're here tonight, or at least that's why I'm here tonight, because the world outside of me is noisy and the world inside of me is noisy. And our hearts are longing for relief. And we know that God's grace renders the noise useless. So I want to read a bit for you from Matthew. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry and began to pick some heads of grain and eat them. When the Pharisees saw this, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath. He answered, Haven't you read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He entered the house of God, and he and his companions ate the consecrated bread, which was not lawful for them to do, but only for the priests. Or haven't you read in the law that the priest on Sabbath duty in the temple desecrate the Sabbath and yet are innocent? I tell you that something greater than the temple is here. If you had not known what these words mean, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. If you had known what these words mean, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the innocent. For the Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. So I love this passage. Jesus is hanging out with his friends in the field, and they're hungry. And there are the Pharisees waiting to lay down some rules. They tell Jesus, look, your disciples are doing, your disciples are not doing what is lawful to do on the Sabbath. Basically what they're saying to Jesus is, your people are not resting right. So Jesus tells them, in my brain, Jesus says, look, yahoos, I know the rules. But I'm the rule now. I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. I am the ruler of relief. 
and I desire mercy and not sacrifice. How about that for a law? Jesus tells them, he tells us, I have come to give you relief from the noise. Now, I always read the gospel, and I'm like, yeah, give it to those Pharisees, Jesus. Show them what's up. And then I take that awkward moment to think about how in most situations in my life, I'm more team Pharisee than I am team Jesus. We continue to be addicts to the noise because especially in this culture, the noise gives us the illusion of control. And none of us want to give that up. So this study came out a year ago asking people what they would sacrifice in order to keep their cell phones. So more than half of the respondents, more than half, said they'd forego dining out for a year rather than give up their phone. About 45% said they'd relinquish their vacation before giving up their phone. And more than three in 10 would stop seeing their friends in person for a year to keep from giving up their phone. But the really shocking one is nearly a third of Germans, like Americans, picked their phone over sex. But in Brazil, just 25% said they'd pick their phone over sex. So thank God for Brazilians. Um, my vantage point as a wife and mother is filled with this kind of stuff. I want all of the noise in my life so that I can tell myself I am in control of everything. We always describe the internet as a steady stream of information, but many days for me, it can feel like a fire hose pummeling me with concrete and opinion and law. You should breastfeed your children until they are 12. You should make all of their food from your home garden. You should also work 60 hours a week. And I love this sort of advice. You should tell them that mommy's worth isn't in her beauty because that's not a weird thing to say to a two-year-old. <laughs> and this noise, this noise of motherhood is kind of a shift for us culturally. Um, one of my favorite pieces I've read recently came from a mom blogger named Ariel Gore. She wrote about having her first baby at 18 years old and her second baby at 38 years old. So she had her first baby like 20 years ago. And she said, I had three experts in my life. I had my parents, the pediatrician, and a copy of what to expect when you're expecting. And with those three tools, she believed she was the world's greatest mom. And then she has the second baby more recently, and she's 38 years old, and she has the whole of the internet to tell her what to do. Not to mention all of the opinionated moms on playgrounds who just quote the internet, and they're almost worse than the internet. And yet with all of these resources at her fingertips, Ariel Gore said she felt like the world's worst mom. At 38 years old, with 20 years of parenting experience behind her. I believe that the noise of this world will strangle us. It will suck away our confidence, our joy, and our very love of this God-given life. 
Now, I want to talk with y'all a little bit. We'll skip that one. Um, about Mindy Colling. Um, she's my current favorite theologian. She's not actually a theologian, but I call her that because I'm hoping to convince David Zoll for her to be our keynote next year. So we're going to call her a theologian. Um, so although Mindy has made a career out of being um, the funny, somewhat out of shape single girl, um, her writings about marriage are really fantastic. She cuts right through the noise that married people so often face. We are told in our relationships that we need to talk more, to process more, to reevaluate everything all the time. We need to take time when we get married, make sure it's the right person, live together for a while, see if you have the same spirit animal, or you like the same Ikea curtains, or whatever. But Mindy Colling believes otherwise. In her fantastic first book, which was called Is Everyone Hanging Out Without Me? She wrote an entire chapter about marriage called Married People Need to Step It Up. She, she wrote about her parents' marriage. These are Mindy's parents. They're so beautiful. Um... And this is her description of them. She said, my parents get along because they are pals. They're not big on analyzing their relationship. What do I mean by pals? It mostly means they want to talk about the same stuff all the time. In my parents' case, it's essentially rose bushes, mulch, and placement of shrubs. They love gardening. They can talk about aphids the way I talk about New York Fashion Week. I believe that in marriage, we can get very caught up in the moment. What I mean by that is we're always saying we need to be present to one another in relationships, right? Um, it's sort of what every marriage article on the internet says, you have to be more present. In some ways, I think we would do well to be less present to that noise and more aware of the enormous space we inhabit together when we promise till death do us part. Our marriage story isn't passively, aggressively emailing one advice column after another to our beloved. It is not a decade of couples therapy. Marriage, and I hesitate to say this, but it isn't even those beautiful vows we made to one another back when we were skinny and didn't have kids. Marriage is being pals with a person whose farts we have learned to tolerate. Because we love them, and because we like to talk about the same things. So much of what we are told a marriage should be these days, it should be fair and well-balanced and thought out. I kind of think that's all noise. Marriage is messy, and it is unfair, and totally by the seat of your pants. And forgive me for spending too much time on the subject, but the grace of marriage, the relief of this utter love, this person that we come home to at night, this acceptance and forgiveness and goodness, it's such an enormous risk of love. Marriage sometimes, I think, is the closest to God's one-way love that we get. Christianity doesn't promise us an easy life. 
but it does offer us relief from the noise. And our current noisy suffering isn't just a modern problem, it is a human problem. So there's this great quote from our beloved Martin Luther describing his years as a young monk. He writes about almost drowning in the noise of the world and the noise of the church. I'm gonna start at the beginning. I tried to live according to the rule with all diligence, and I used to be contrite to confess and number my sins, and often repeated my confession and sedulously performed my allotted penance, and yet my conscience could never give me certainty, but I always doubted and said, you did not perform that correctly. You were not contrite enough. You left that out of your confession. The more I tried to remedy an uncertain, weak, and afflicted conscience with the traditions of men, the more each day found it more uncertain, weaker, and troubled. Luther might as well have been writing about being a mother desperate to get every detail of your baby's childhood right, or a wife hoping that she can somehow balance all of her life's duties. Luther might as well have been writing about modern Christianity with our obsession of morality over justice or justice over morality, always looking to the right and to the left and never acknowledging the relief of the cross that stands right in front of us. I take comfort in Luther's words because I know I am not alone in needing relief. I am not simply weak, or just a failure, or a sinner on repeat. I am all of these things at once. And no amount of me being informed about the news or being righteous in my moral behavior will save me. The noise of the world cannot and will not relieve humanity from the burden of itself. It never has and it never will. So I want to end um, at the beginning. So I'm gonna begin to end. I wanna talk a little bit uh, about dance. So there's this wonderful, wonderful show that if you haven't seen, you should definitely watch. It's um, on BBC and it's called Rev. So it's a show about an Anglican priest with a failing uh, parish in inner city London. My husband and I used to watch it with one hand covering our eyes. It was like exposure therapy for us because the show is so true to clergy life, it's painful. The Reverend Adam Smallbone, as played brilliantly, I know, right? <laughs> as played brilliantly by actor Tom Hollander, is all of us. He's so relatable. He's well-meaning. He loves his family. He works hard at his job. But the problem is that when all of these things begin to unravel, the noise of the world almost does Adam in. Of course, there are loads of compelling television shows that document people's lives falling apart. But Rev is different. Because on this show, we get to see what happens when a man of God just gives up. It is somewhat acceptable and even admirable 
to move to the woods and write poetry if you've spent your life being an investment banker or a corporate lawyer, but to give up on being a minister, that can't be allowed, right? You gotta hang with the program. You gotta pray harder. You gotta do better. You gotta encourage others. You aren't allowed to fall apart on the sidewalk because what kind of Christian witness is that gonna provide? So Rev documents Adam's life as it rapidly unravels. His church is doomed to close. He has kissed a woman on his staff. His marriage is just barely recovering from the fallout. So he takes a long walk, holding a cross, and he ends up on a hill, and he starts to sing and dance. And then God shows up. So according to the writers of the show Rev, God is a joyful Liam Neeson, dressed in a mismatched tracksuit, holding what appears to be a morning beer. <laughs> Which I'm totally on board with this idea. Um, so when God sees Adam singing and dancing, God joins right in. wherever you may be I am the Lord of the dance city and I lead you all wherever you may be and I lead you all in the dance city dance for the scribes and the Pharisees they wouldn't dance they would not follow me so I dance for the fishermen for James and John they came with me so the dance went on Dance, dance, wherever you may be. I am the Lord of the dance, and I lead you all wherever you may be, and I lead you all in the dance, I am the Lord of the dance, and I lead you all wherever you may be, and I lead you all in the dance, and I Oh, I like your dance. Yeah, thanks. You're in a good mood, then? Not really. Oh? Why is that, then? I'm trying to keep something alive, but I don't think I can do it. Oh. Uh, you know, I've learned a few things over the years. Oh, yes? You can't... You can't make an omelette without cracking some eggs. Right, thanks. It doesn't kill you. It makes you stronger. I see. We are what we eat. Yep. You buy cheap, you buy twice. The open hand has the strongest grip. It's okay, you can stop now. Never parachute into an area you've just bombed. Well, that's a good one. Adam, Adam. We all have our crosses to bear. Yes, yes, we do. I understand, Adam. 
Some of you have been in Adam's shoes before. The unrelenting pressures of the world have crushed you. Your marriage has fallen apart. You've screwed up big time at work. Your kids won't talk to you. And all the world offers you is noise dressed up as advice and opinion. When we fail in this world, we only offer one another more noise. Sometimes we say really harsh things, right? You've done it again. You didn't heed our advice. You reap what you sow. The road to hell is marked with good intentions. Or we say more positive things that are still awful. Your life is what you make it. Or my least favorite saying of all time, live your best life now. I always think the subtext of that is, because we all saw your last attempt and it sucked. <laughs> and yet, in the midst of all that burdensome pain and failure, God looks to us and says, I understand you and I'll always be there. And that is the utter relief of grace. It is knowing that God's grace reaches out to us even when we believe we are beyond his reach, even when the noise has told us that we are unredeemable. God meets us on a crappy park bench and sings and dances to the goofiest hymn that has probably ever been written. God tells us, I am here and I know you're suffering and I love you. Grace, Robert Farrar Capon writes, is the celebration of life relentlessly hounding all the non-celebrants in the world. It is a floating cosmic bash shouting its way through the streets of the universe, flinging the sweetness of its cessations to every window, hounding at every door in a hilarity beyond all liking and happening until the prodigals come out at last and dance and the elder brothers finally take their fingers out of their ears. Or in my language, God's grace pursues us until the prodigal son accepts the relief from the noise that the father gives him, and the elder brother finally turns off National Public Radio's morning edition. God's grace redeems even the hardest things about us our loss and our sin and our impossible expectations for ourselves. God's grace dances us into relief. It pulls us from being anxious wallflowers, worried about what we wore or who we came with or how many things we got done that day. God's grace distinguishes the noise from the gospel. And that is where we find our relief.
Now, if you'll excuse my poetic license and the band Walk the Moon will forgive me. God says, don't you dare look back. Just keep your eyes on me. And I say, the noise is holding me back. And God says, shut up and dance with me. Why don't we pray? Gracious God, thank you for your redeeming love of relief. Thank you for your grace, which charges after us, after us. it meets us, it hugs us, and it welcomes us home. Thank you so much, Jesus. All these things we pray in your precious name. Amen. Thanks, y'all. Wow, thank you, Sarah. Whew. A few quick of an announcements before we pray and go and eat. Uh, it's such actually a perfect opening uh, talk because we really do see this conference as uh, a party. <laughs> and this year we've made that explicit. We're having, a, a, you know, an Episco disco for crying out loud. I don't know how else we could, you know, broadcast that. Um, we're so glad that you're here. We know that many of you have traveled a long distance to be here. I was just talking to someone who took a 17-hour Greyhound bus ride. You know, make sure she gets two glasses of wine. I know a few of you have flown from overseas. Uh, you may not believe it, but more than half of you have never been to a Mockingbird event before. And so if you have been here or haven't been here for a while or never been here before, we invite you to um, find new dance partners, <laughs> as it were. I'll stop that metaphor. But you, you <laughs> meet someone new. There's just a lot of great people here, and I think that more than we even know. So I uh, just want to say that if you feel like everyone knows each other, they really don't. They're just putting up a good front even here. Um, the restrooms, this is a perennial question. There's one out here in the hallway. It says baño on it, which is, as you know, Spanish for bathroom. Um, and then there are two back in the narthex. So there, if, if the, it's narthex meaning the foyer. So um, that's Episcopal speak. It's over there. Um, if you smoke, uh, not candy cigarettes. If you smoke real cigarettes, uh, great. Um, but do not leave your butts on the ground because there's a preschool outside and if you do that, then Jacob Smith is going to hear about it. And we love Jacob Smith uh, and we don't want him to suffer any kind of noise. Um, he deals with enough. I think that, oh, the last thing is that this year, because of our um, attendance, praise God, we are uh, separating the dinner uh, situation. So we have about 90 seats in the chapel, which is the beautiful chapel, sort of, if you go out of these doors and take it, hang a sharp right, that's the chapel. And uh, the, there's, I think, a, 
almost 200 seats downstairs to in Olmsted Salon. Uh, the way we thought we'd do it was that uh, those who like white wine, <laughs> that's going to be served upstairs. Uh, this was Melina's idea, not mine. Apparently, there's a very select crew who like white wine. Maybe you're one of them. We love you. Beer and other wine people downstairs. Of course, if you want, whatever, come and get it. The food will be on the tables when we get there. And I've been told that they even churned their own butter for us. Okay? So we're not kidding around. Now I'd like to invite Reverend Nancy Hanna up to close us in prayer. And Dave Johnson will say, our, the, bless the food. O God, from whom all holy desires, all good counsels, and all just works do proceed, give unto thy servants that peace which the world cannot give, that our hearts may be set to obey thy commandments, and also that by thee we, being defended from the fear of all enemies, may pass our time in rest and quietness through the merits of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. And now let us pray together in the words our Lord has taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Lord, we pray your blessing on the food and the beer and the wine and the butter. And on the rest of this evening, we give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen.